probably not heard of her because her story has been hidden by the mighty dragon. Hidden until it got out. We are talking about Dr. Ai Fen. She is the director of the emergency department at the Wuhan Central Hospital. She is also the reason why the world found out about China's cover-up. She was perhaps the first doctor to order tests on the early coronavirus patients. And now she has gone missing. The latest reports claim that her whereabouts are unknown now. Why is this doctor so important? Why must her story be told? Because Dr. Ai Fen has ruffled the feathers of the Communist Party of China. Not only did she find the virus, she even spoke about it in China. Last month, she gave an interview to a Chinese magazine. The government did not like it. The interview created fresh trouble for Beijing. It also became proof of China's cover-up because Dr. Ai Fen had revealed it all. She told the world how China knew about the coronavirus way back in December and how China did nothing to stop it. Dr. Ai Fen said all of this in her interview. She said that she was not the whistleblower. She was the one who gave the whistle. Tonight on Gravitas, we have for you the Ai Fen revelations. We've been investigating her claims. We've also reported on some of her assessments in the past. And now we have accessed a copy of Dr. Ai Fen's interview. This was removed from the internet by the Chinese censors. The interview is the smoking gun, the proof of China's cover-up. This is what it says. Dr. Ai Fen was in her hospital when the patients walked in. It was a disease that no other doctor had seen before. The patients were showing flu-like symptoms, but usual treatment methods were not working on them. So Dr. Ai Fen, she was treating some of the patients herself, and she decided to carry out some tests. The result, she said, was shocking. The report called it a SARS coronavirus. Now, the interview says that Dr. Ifen read the report several times to confirm it. Her conclusion did not change. She said that she broke out in a cold sweat. She knew an unprecedented challenge was staring at her. Dr. Ifen circled the diagnosis. She took a photograph of the report and she shared it with a friend. Soon, the report was circulated across Wuhan's medical circles. Other doctors began talking about this new virus, this mysterious disease. One of them was Dr. Li Wenliang, the man on your screen. He, too, received this report. And he's now known as the first whistleblower. Dr. Ai Fen gave him the whistle, as she puts it. He shared her report further. Soon it emerged on the radar of the Chinese censors. They found out what was being circulated. And this is where the cover-up begins. Dr. Li was pulled up by Chinese officials for sharing the report. He was accused of spreading rumors. And then the Chinese police tracked down Dr. Ai Fen as the source. They told her to stay quiet. First, she received a warning. Her hospital told her to not spread this information. Two days later, she was called before her hospital's disciplinary inspection committee. She was accused of spreading rumors. She was reprimanded. Disciplinary action for raising concerns. Dr. Ifen tried to warn her seniors. She tried to raise an alarm about the Wuhan virus, but her voice was muzzled. The interview says that she knew about human-to-human -human transmission, but no one listened to her. Instead of acting on her report, the Wuhan Central Hospital joined the government's cover-up. The staff was forbidden from passing messages or images about this virus. A few months later, Dr. Ifen got a chance to speak again. Her interview was published in a Chinese magazine called People. And this time, she did not hold anything back. She told everything that she knew, and now nobody knows where she is.
gone missing for reporting on the Wuhan virus. story begins at Bergdorf Goodman, New York's beloved and distinguished boutique, established in 1901, starring Michael Kors. One year ago, the Chinese government announced a lockdown in the city of Wuhan. The virus is crazy. We do want to be crazy. Calm. Calm down. But for at least 54 days before that, the virus had been spreading throughout China. I have no doubt that the scientists and doctors who were on the front lines knew exactly what they were dealing with. To this day, the Chinese government insists that in the fight against COVID-19, it has acted with openness, transparency, and responsibility and in a timely manner. You can't blame China for coronavirus. China is a victim, not a source of this problem. Over the past year, we've been interviewing doctors, scientists, experts, and public health officials involved in the response, and their accounts paint a different picture. Every day, we would go back and we would ask for more information. Everyone knew it was human-to-human -human transmission. Even a fool would know. It's a perfect storm of multiple failures happening at the same time. With leaked documents. And secret recordings. We need to see the data. This is the story of what the Chinese government knew. The first instinct of the authorities is always to cover up. My guess is that the order to not do anything unusual came from the very top. And what they told the world. Authorities have reported 27 cases. By the time we knew that it was transmissible human to human, the cat really was out of the bag. That was the shot we had and we lost it.
parts of China's response to COVID-19 go back almost 20 years to another deadly outbreak. The story does start with SARS, and it began with the lack of transparency from China. In November 2002, an outbreak of severe acute respiratory syndrome, or SARS, began in southern China. The virus is thought to have passed from a bat into a civet cat and into humans at a market. It then spread quickly through southern China's crowded factory cities. Doctors identified that something unusual happening, reported it to the local public health authorities. It took weeks and months you know, for them to take a decisive action. China's authoritarian government maintained everything was under control. The immediate response of the Chinese government was literally to lie and dissemble. And that caused total confusion for the rest of the world as this epidemic began to ignite. Five months into the outbreak, a Beijing doctor exposed what was really happening. He revealed there were many more cases than the government was letting on. The central government in Beijing now admitted the scope of the problem. SARS has come to North America. A thousand people have been quarantined in Hong Kong. Two dead in Canada and six cases in Europe. By this time, SARS had spread around the world. It would ultimately cause almost 800 deaths. In China, the cover-up shook the country. Chinese people became very concerned but also angry that the government is not telling them the truth. There were stories of kind of people like rising up, mistrusting information, the damage to reputation of the party states domestically and internationally was very heavy, it was felt. SARS was deadly, but its ability to spread was limited. Within eight months, the outbreak was contained. It was widely seen that the delay by China in reporting and actually responding was absolutely the reason why we weren't able to nip it in the bud. And so the narrative in the global health world was China did learn a lesson that would be better next time and that they would be much more responsive and transparent. Beijing set about making sure that SARS could not happen again. The following year, it began creating what it has claimed is the largest online infectious diseases reporting system in the world, run from the Center for Disease Control, China's CDC. I helped them develop the national CDC, the CDC that I first visited, was in disrepair. That's completely changed. And what they did was they created these various programs. It was a hundred talents, a thousand talents, so that people who had been trained in other parts of the world were recruited back to China to contribute to the establishment of 
new infrastructure for infectious disease surveillance. One of those recruits was George Gao, a virologist at Oxford University. He became the head of the China CDC in 2017. Let me tell you how we organize the disease control and public health in China. Surveillance, we have the general centralized data center as in China CDC. I will know within hours whether or not we have an outbreak, you know, even in a small village. By 2019, Gao was promising that the country's new online surveillance system would be able to prevent another outbreak like SARS. So they were indeed confident, right, that they uh, had the capacity uh, to uh, handle, uh, well, <laughs> a major disease outbreak. Should it happen, right, that they would be able to nip the crisis in the bud. First of December 2019, a man in his 70s fell ill. He was admitted to a hospital in Wuhan, a vast industrial city and the transport hub of central China. up to 200 people were likely already infected with the coronavirus. They were walking around undetected, most likely with mild symptoms or none at all. Many of the cases would be traced to a sprawling live animal market which supplied the city's restaurants and food shops. at the Wuhan CDC, the Wuhan Center for Disease Control, 2014, took me there really to say, look, this is the, look at this place. This is the kind of place where emerging microbes may appear. And I took lots of photographs because they are quite jarring. There were snakes, cats, raccoon dog, and they were sometimes in individual cages on the floor and sometimes stacked on top of each other. After SARS, Beijing had passed a law requiring markets to maintain sanitary standards, but it was widely ignored. People will kill animals in front of you. There's feces, guts, blood, organs lying around with wild birds coming down and feeding on it. You've got thousands of people congregating. It's a really good place for a virus to spread from one person to another and get out into the community. It's not known whether the market was where the virus first made the leap from animals to humans. But by mid-December, several people were turning up at nearby hospitals. Doctors noticed a pattern, strange white spots in patients' lung scans. Doctors put two and two together 
that if you're in a hospital and you see one pneumonia patient or even two, you may not think anything untoward's happening. But the fact that they were seen in different loca locations meant that that cluster meant there was an infectious agent going around. after the first illnesses emerged, doctors at Wuhan Central Hospital took a sample from a patient's lungs. They sent it to Vision Medicals, a private company more than 500 miles away. Within 48 hours, the company had come up with a short genetic sequence of the virus. December 26 is to say, oh my God, these patients' samples contain genetic sequence most related back coronavirus. The technician then privately told his boss about the coronavirus over the messaging app WeChat. are a large family of viruses which includes SARS and the common cold. The sequence from Wuhan hadn't been seen before, but it was strikingly similar to SARS. The person who operated that machine and did the analysis basically sent a red light flash to the boss of the company. And the boss says, this is serious. Don't send the report out until you're 100% sure. And a few hours later, basically says, I'm 100% sure. This is real. The lab informed the doctors at the hospital and the Wuhan CDC. They also sent the sequence results to the state-run Chinese Academy of Medical Sciences in Beijing. coming days, word of a new SARS-like virus was starting to spread among officials in Wuhan and Beijing. Several more samples were sent to other labs for sequencing. None of these results were initially shared with the international community. So the sequence of a pathogen is really important because that is what allows people to figure out how quickly the pathogen is spreading and to be able to create tests to detect the virus is really crucial information for health authorities in other countries to start detecting this virus. You know, where is it going? Is it, is it going to go outside of China? Is it going to become a pandemic? Is it human-to-human -human transmissible? Of course, you don't want to rush out some information that could potentially be false and, you know, make everyone think that, oh, this is some other kind of pathogen and somehow misinform people. Almost a month after the first cases emerged, hospitals in Wuhan were receiving dozens of patients with severe pneumonia. 
Japan's 11 million people were still going about their lives as normal, unwittingly spreading the virus around the city and to the rest of China. Then a lab in Beijing that had been reviewing a sample of the virus sent Wuhan Central Hospital some startling results. This lab had gotten a different result from the previous one. Rather than a virus similar to SARS, they said it was SARS itself. It would turn out the lab had made a mistake, but the results quickly started circulating among doctors at Wuhan Central Hospital. This was the first time that the information about the possibility of this virus was shared. This was the first time there was documentation, there was evidence that something is really happening and that's being shared publicly. WeChat groups are like little discussion circles. It could be hundreds of people in one group. And it's very, very easy for information to spread. And it spreads like fire. At around 5.30 p.m., it reached Li Wenliang, an eye doctor. He forwarded it on with a warning. Don't circulate this information outside the group. Tell your family and loved ones to take precautions. He was talking to a group of fellow doctors from his university when he brought up the problem. He wasn't trying to go public. And in the ordinary course of events, it would have been like a little black mark on, uh, on a record somewhere. Instead, he ended up at this kind of crux of, of history. His message went viral. city's hospitals to report any new cases directly to them and barred them from releasing information to the public. Within 12 minutes, the orders were leaked. They too were widely shared on the internet. News of an outbreak had escaped. wonderful and busiest time of year. A lot of people, high volume, are going to be traveling. They estimating 40... That night, the rumors reached Marjorie Pollock, an epidemiologist with ProMed, an organization which sends out alerts on disease outbreaks. I checked my email after dinner, and I had an email from a colleague in Taiwan... Social media was ripe with lots of chatter going on in Chinese of an outbreak. And did we know anything about it? I was able to monitor the Weibo posts and it was just going wild. My reaction was we're in trouble. It was very much a deja vu of what happened with SARS-1. So, put together a report to go out. 
as what we would call an emergency post, getting it out as soon as possible. subscribers worldwide. It's already the new year in much of the world, and here in New York, they're getting ready for the most famous New Year's spectacle, the ball drop in Times Square. Peter Dajak, head of a New York-based infectious disease research organization, contacted Marjorie Pollack with more news. I got hold of her on New Year's Eve, and uh, as the champagne was getting warm, we realized something really serious was going on in China. We had it from a good source that this was a coronavirus, and that it was 20% different to SARS. So we knew that SARS was pretty good at transmitting from person to person. We knew it had a 10% mortality rate. That's a huge red flag. And really knew something was wrong when every single senior person that I was trying to get hold of in China was busy. I sent a, a really long text to George Goes, uh, head of the CDC. I offered to send a team out there to come out there and do anything to support them. And I got the shortest response ever from George, which was Happy New Year. But George Gow did contact virologist Ian Lipkin with information about the virus. This is the first time Lipkin has publicly recounted details of their conversation. I was in a restaurant waiting to ring in the new year, and I got a call on WeChat, and it was George Gao. He'd identified the virus, it was a new coronavirus, and that it was not highly transmissible. Well, this didn't really resonate with me because I'd heard about many, many people who'd been infected. I think he was just wrong. You know, I don't think he was duplicitous. I think he was just wrong. He should have released some sequences and said, this is what we know. These are the sequences we have. My view is that you get it out. That's the way we do it because this is too important to hesitate. sequences were released as quickly as possible and that he never told the public there was no human-to-human -human transmission. News of the possible outbreak had actually spread far beyond Wuhan by late December. And that suddenly there was this increasing kind of pressure because the outside world was looking. But that's a dual-edged sword in China. Because on the one hand, the outside world looking can create pressure to act, 
the outside world looking can also create pressure to cover up. Viral pneumonia has hit central China's Wuhan city. Authorities have reported 27 cases in total, seven of which are critical. The National Health Commission now instructed Wuhan health officials to announce the outbreak. The news was aired on state-run TV. Patients are reported to have worked at a local seafood market. But the officials played it down, describing it only as a viral pneumonia that was under control. They reassured the public that there was no evidence of human-to-human -human transmission and closed the market where they maintained many cases had originated. instinct of the authorities is always to cover up. One of the key values of the Chinese Communist Party for the last 40-odd years has been stability. The avoidance of what they see as chaos, the dangers of revolution, overthrow. But the party is also very concerned about the idea that whole populations might freak out. And that might result in mass shortages or people being crushed to death trying to flee somewhere. That urge to control, that belief that the public can't be trusted, um, is also very kind of ingrained. The definition of stability keeps getting escalated. As the ability of the Chinese government to, to monitor absolutely everything improves, Even some of the thoughts and speeches of Chinese citizens, they are now seen as signs of instability. Increasingly, even uh, in WeChat, which is a private platform, that kind of you know, so-called deviant speech would be punished with administrative detention or suspension of, of accounts. On January 1st, the Wuhan police dealt with the doctors who'd spread the news of an outbreak. On state TV, they were labeled rumor mongers and internet users. Several were given official reprimands by the police. The news was widely covered on national television. The eye doctor Li Wenliang, whose post had gone viral, was called to a police station where he signed a confession. Chinese government has disputed that what happened to Li is evidence they were trying to suppress news of the outbreak. They say he was simply being urged not to spread unconfirmed information, and that all countries have strict rules on the confirmation of infectious diseases.
but the clampdown extended beyond doctors. Chinese journalists were now subject to specific censorship instructions, and key words began to disappear from the internet. When I first started seeing the reports on December 31st, doctors from Insight were describing it as SARS. Um, and so, you know, I started searching Wuhan SARS to see what the discussion was online. And I couldn't find anything. You know, you had that standard term, that relevant search terms blocked, which is not a surprise because the government obviously wants to keep things stable. I'm pretty sure they did not want any comparison to SARS. They wouldn't want a panic to ensue because of that. But by now in Beijing and Wuhan, top government officials were confronting evidence that they were dealing with something potentially serious, a novel coronavirus. So let me tell you what international law requires. If the government knows about um, a novel infection that meets the criteria uh, within the international health regulations and a novel coronavirus, by definition, meets those criteria of, of a potential public health emergency of international concern, the government is obliged by law to report that to the World Health Organization within 24 hours. So it was reportable. The failure to report clearly was a violation of the international health regulations. The World Health Organization first learned about the outbreak, not from the Chinese government, but from social media and the ProMed Post. On January 1st, its incident management team began a series of emergency conference calls. I remember sitting on the floor in the living room uh, of my sister's house at 3 o'clock in the morning on those calls with the aim of, you know, really understanding the situation. We had the assumption initially that this may be something new, that it may be a new coronavirus. And as a respiratory pathogen, for us, it wasn't a matter of if, you know, human-to-human -human transmission was happening. It was what is the extent of it and where is that happening? WHO officials requested more information from China's National Health Commission. It was two days before they heard back. What they were told was vague. There were 44 cases of viral pneumonia of unknown cause. The country has an obligation to answer WHO's questions honestly, fully, and transparently. And I don't think that that happened entirely. Anytime you get an emerging disease outbreak, it's a little bit of chaos at the beginning and also a little bit of disbelief. But having said that, it's hard knowing what happened at SARS, why the WHO was not informed straight away. Once you report to WHO, it's open to the world. You start to get travel and trade restrictions placed upon you. China had the memory um, that they lost a lot of economic productivity and travel and tourism and trade during SARS. 
And so I think China's view was that um, it, it wanted to handle this pretty much and that it was going to, um, it, it didn't want outside interference. The Chinese government refused multiple interview requests. Instead, it shared a document called Reality Check of U.S. Allegations Against China on COVID-19. The document states, We have all along been in good communication and cooperation with the WHO. And China has provided timely information to the world in an open, transparent, and responsible manner. and officials on the ground in Wuhan investigating the outbreak. Labs across the country were secretly racing to map the complete genetic sequence of the new virus. One of those labs was run by a renowned virologist in Shanghai, Professor Zhang Yongzhen, 